Hello, and welcome to episode four of the Venture Games Podcast. I'm Chris Quaidu, and today I'm happy to host my next guest, Namdi Iregbalam, partner at Lightspeed Venture Partners. How's it going, Namdi? Going well. Great. Thank you for joining me. So just to get started, you know, I would love to hear more about your your background. You know, what was the path that, that got you to this point today? Yeah. Um where to begin. So, uh, yeah, I've always been a, uh, massive, massive technology nerd ever since I was a kid. Um, you know, it's almost hard to remember when I first, uh, sort of came to technology, but, um, from the earliest age, I was always super intrigued by it. And, um, uh, despite my parents, uh, wishes that I become a doctor, I always kind of knew that <laughs> that was probably not going to be in the cards. And so, um, and so really worked on the interest um, in all sorts of ways. I used to, I, you know, I taught myself to code. I'd write these websites as a kid that I would try and make money off of with Google AdSense. And I'd get these like $100 checks in the mail from Google. And my parents would wonder why Google was sending me money. Um, you know, I built desktop computers. I still build desktop computers. Um, really was just sort of knee deep in it and, you know, uh, as I mentioned, I always knew I was either going to work in tech or invest in tech, and I've ended up largely on the investing side. And so, um, you know, started my career in the sort of investment banking, uh, uh, the, the the salt mines of investment <laughs> banking, uh, doing tech media telecom out out of uh, J.P. Morgan in, in New York. It was actually a great experience, but um, knew that I, I didn't want to do that for forever, and so moved to the investing side uh, fairly quickly, and. Um, joined my old firm, Iconic Capital, where I was uh, technically a generalist, but I tended to focus on enterprise software. And then within that, I tended to focus on the nerdier aspects of it, uh, you know, developer tools, application infrastructure, data science, uh, machine learning, and, and, a little, and, and, and gaming as well. Um, you know, I was the only person on the team who knew how to code, and so that, that <laughs> helped. Um, but ended up making a bunch of investments in super nerdy companies like GitLab, uh, Fastly, which went public in 2019, mm -hmm. which was like a data analytics tool that went public a couple of years ago, and um, Epic Games, which you know everybody knows these days because of Fortnite, but I've known for my entire life yeah. uh, because of all their sort of long, illustrious history of, of games as well as um, the Unreal Engine. Um, and so, um, you know, I also spent some time working in product at a company called Confluent in the data infrastructure space. Um, and uh, today I'm a, a partner at a firm called Lightspeed Venture Partners, uh, where I focus on all of those same areas that I that I identified um, from the early stage perspective. So it was B through 3B mainly. So do you consider yourself technical? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it's only because so many people don't consider themselves right. technical, so somebody <laughs> has to wear the shoes, I guess. <laughs> But um, yeah, I never worked as a software developer or been paid for my code, as I, mm -hmm. as I like to say. But um, but I've always been coding in in various forms, um, and uh, and think I understand it you know reasonably well. Yeah. Did you build your own PC that you use? Yeah. Uh, use uh, you know a, this one I built um, maybe two years ago or no, it's like a year a year and a half ago now. Um, the one I, I I use currently, and I've always mm -hmm. since 
mid high school used a computer that I had, I had built myself uh, for, for the most part. That was my first build. My dad promised me if I got straight A's one semester that he'd buy me the parts to build my own computer. So uh, did that. So that was the motivation I needed. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, built my first computer way back and uh, have been doing it ever since. That's pretty awesome. So I just actually had a classmate of mine build my very first uh, gaming PC. So I've been very excited about that. Yeah, I was always a console gamer, but, you know, people have just been telling me for so long I have to get a gaming PC. And so so now I have to the civilized world. It's it's like (laughs) a thousand times better than any console, by the way. So I'm actually upset at myself for taking so long to, to make this transition. As long as you're upset at yourself, then I don't have to be upset at you. So exactly, exactly. So how important do you think it is to actually be technical in BC? You know, as you mentioned, a lot of people, you know, say that they they aren't technical. Um, and I was actually surprised to hear you say you were the only person who knew how to code on on one of your previous teams. Um, yeah. So how important do you think it is today? Well, it's funny. I mean, you know, um, people differ on this. Um, and the way I would say it is it's like, it's sort of as important as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can decide as an investor that you want to focus on a certain kind of company doing a certain kind of thing where, you know, you're, you're being derelict in your duty as an investor if you don't understand what they're doing from a technical right. perspective. But if you don't want to focus on those kinds of companies, you can focus on all the other kinds of companies out there mm-hmm. and it's, you won't have any worse of a career for, for it. So it's kind of, it's kind of up to you. Um, I will say though, that like, you know, this term of like, you know, who is technical and who isn't, I think it's a spectrum at the end of the day, right? Like as far as I'm concerned, like if you are, if you spend a lot of time writing, you know, or a lot of time working in like Microsoft Excel, for example, you know, you may not like consider yourself to be technical, but like, trust me, you're way ahead of someone who, <laughs> who has never seen Excel. If you could put in those formulas and build some complex financial model, like that's, that's something. Yeah. And it, and it is technically Excel is Turing complete. So, um, um, so I, I almost try to avoid categorizing people too, uh, cleanly, but, um, but yeah, I think it's as important as you want it to be. And I, I found it to be very valuable in, in my career as a minister. Mm-hmm. I'll take that as an indirect compliment. I, I have spent some time <laughs> in, in Excel in my days. And I, I have a little bit of coding knowledge. So hopefully I, I pass your okay. test. So you mentioned you covered some of the like nerdier enterprise software companies. Was that by choice and like your area of interest? Or is it because of your sort of uh, background and knowledge? I sort of, it was sort of my choice. I could have chosen to focus on anything, mm-hmm. um, but found a sort of natural fit in those kinds of companies, um, both because there was a need for someone like me on the team to focus on those areas. But then as well, I just found that I jived a lot better with these kind of technical founders building technical things that I actually sort of cared about. Um, you know, not to say that enterprise software investing isn't the sexiest thing ever, but, <laughs> you know, it's... It's not. And so to the extent that you could make it sexy to yourself, that helps a lot. And so the things that are just most fun and interesting to me are, are, are the kind of developer-centric uh, tooling and, and, and technologies. Um, and so it, was, it felt like a very natural fit. Um, but even 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 so, though, I mean, the amount of hours I spent on the job and out of the job sort of building up my technical expertise, both in order to understand this stuff and because I just I just loved it, um, mm-hmm. was, was very high. I mean, there were some nights where you know, I, I'm, I'm known as, as someone who doesn't sleep very much. It's rarely <laughs> because of the work 
is so hard and more because like my personal passions keep me up right. into the night, like coding, learning some new language, some new tool, you know, whatever it is. So um, that's kind of how it happened. So I know you said enterprise software investing isn't necessarily sexy, but it is pretty hot. You know, there's tons of enterprise software companies getting funded and there, you know, a lot of people are writing about how valuations are getting stretched. I guess generally, how do you think about the market for enterprise software opportunities? Yeah, I mean, the way I would describe it, I, I try to avoid saying whether or not at this point are things overvalued or not. So, yeah, I just, I, I just generally avoid that kind of statement. What I can talk about is sort of like how it's trended over time mm-hmm. and what that sort of implies. And so, you know, if you if you turn back the clock to like not that long ago, even just five to ten years ago, um, when I first started wetting my feet in the investment world, um, you know, people didn't really understand software investing. It was sort of this weird area where you had this sort of these like on-premises software with these like big paid upfront licenses mm-hmm. and like maintenance and all this stuff. And there's a sort of transition to SaaS that had uh, begun to uh, sort of transpire that made it just a lot easier to parse and understand the financials and growth trajectory of the typical uh, software company. And so there's this period of time where like, people weren't totally caught up on that, but a couple investors were. And, you know, I, I felt like we were back at my old firm. And so we were able to deploy a ton of capital into a bunch of companies that a lot of other people didn't think were that interesting at the time, but mm-hmm. because we understood the metrics and the dynamics of a, these, you know, what are called SaaS, uh, software as a service businesses, yeah. you know, we were able to make a ton of money um, um, through those investments. And, you know, the market, the market momentum in general also helped, but there right. was definitely a, a shift towards um, this market um, over time. And, and, and if I sort of now fast forward the clock to today, now everybody's realized that there's a bunch of money to be made in yeah. software if you play your cards right. And so as a result, the valuations have gotten, you know, crazy. You know, people understand how the diligence these kinds of companies now. And so the, the valuations people are willing to pay, you know, the fact that the, 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 the risk has declined materially as an investor. And so um, as supply and demand would dictate, the, the valuations have gone up. And um, that's just kind of what it is at this point. Uh, I continue to think that it's an interesting space to invest in. And I just have a personal view that like enterprise software really drive the world forward yeah. by enhancing you know human productivity um and that's like a big sort of driving force of, my, of for me and the reason why i just love technology in the first place um and so you know i i sort of laid down my bets that this is a place worth focusing on even despite yeah. the, the insanity but it's certainly gotten a lot frothier Right. So now that it has gotten so much attention, you know, everyone knows what LTV to CAC is. You know, some people probably have it like tattooed on their bodies in places. <laughs> so without giving away, you know, sort of your secret sauce, what are some of the things that you look for um, when you're just like evaluating attractive opportunities? So there's, you know, there's all the typical sort of metrics that people look at. I try to like, you know, and I, and I would leverage a lot of those same metrics, but I try to take a slightly different lens on some of these things or just sort of put it in a broader framework as opposed to just sort of saying, well, if this number is this high, it's good. Right. And if it's this low, it's bad, you know, whatever. And so like, you know, one example would be like, um, you know, cohort analysis, um, which, you know, has become this like, 
old hat thing at this point. Like you sort of track how the customers trend over time and how much revenue they generate and what did you pay in terms of sales and marketing to acquire them and, and whatever. But the reason that sales, I mean, the reason that um, cohort um, analysis is important is because cohorts are the business. You, your, your customers are the business. And so if you can kind of model the PL of a customer, the PL of a customer is what your business will eventually become because mm-hmm. the, all, your business at the end of the day is just made up of a, is just a stack of customers. Yeah. And so whatever the PL that customer looks like in the long run is what your business is going to trend to in the long run as growth slows down and you stop acquiring uh, new customers at the same rate and you just end up looking like what your old customers look like. And so that's actually the fundamental reason why cohort analysis is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people like miss that. They just sort of like do the math and they <laughs> pick up Excel and they put in the formulas and then right. they generate the charts and they, and whatever. But like, so that's like a very classic thing for me is just sort of thinking through from just a higher level, like what's the framework that makes this important as opposed to just the metrics themselves. Yeah, makes sense. So shifting gears, you know, sort of back to your uh, your banking days, you know, there are quite yeah. a few people who, uh, when they are thinking of skill sets for, for venture capital, you know, sometimes I, I'd say probably a decent proportion of the time, you know, investment banking is seen as like one of the many viable paths to VC. And mm-hmm. so having, having actually come from there and then into VC, how do you think about just the skill set of investment banking translating to VC? Yeah, so I think the degree to which it translates depends a lot on what kind of venture you, you, you want to do or end up doing. So if you're going into, you know, and let's, if I had to bucket it, it would be sort of early, true early stage venture capital, sort of growth, what is now called growth investing, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, a bit later in the company's trajectory, and then the kind of like free IPO type stuff, which I'll just call pre IPO stuff, um, okay. you know, late stage, basically. You know, banking is increasingly helpful the, the later in the company's life cycle that you're getting involved in as an investor because those like core sort of corporate finance um, skills and like sort of valuation and modeling and that stuff is really only usable when there is a, a corporation to <laughs> to understand the financials right. of or exactly. you know, when the finances to be understood, um, when there's a business to be modeled. At the early stage, I frankly think a lot of stuff is not super valuable. I, I rarely open Excel for the purposes of like modeling a company. I have Excel right. open for other reasons, but not for like, <laughs> you know financial modeling. It's just not really a thing that is that necessary or part or important in early early stage diligence but if you're doing like growth stage it's extremely important you're going to be in excel all day um doing that cohort analysis that we were talking about earlier yeah you know among other things so i think it's i think it's, it's very valuable in terms of the four basic corporate finance skill set that i actually think everybody should know even if you don't work in finance mm-hmm. i actually think it's just good information to, to have in your head and so it's valuable for that, but how valuable it is over and above that sort of depends on what stage of the, the venture life cycle you're getting, you're getting into. Yeah, makes sense. So for those who are less familiar with Lightspeed, uh, do you want to just talk, you know, sort of briefly about, you know, who is Lightspeed and what do you guys, what do you guys focus on? Check size, sector, et yep. cetera. Yep. So, you know, Lightspeed is, uh, you know, at this point, global uh, two decade old uh, venture firm based in you know Silicon Valley, right on Sand Hill Road, um, and we we invest in all categories across both um, you know enterprise software, uh, consumer, 
and um, increasingly uh, healthcare uh, as well. And, um, and we have teams dedicated to, to, to all of those efforts. And, um, you know, the firm has, you know, over its history made a, just a ton of great bets on uh, both enterprise and consumer and healthcare companies. Um, you know, you can go to our website if you want to see some of the names, but there's, you know, Snapchat and Nest and others on the consumer side, you know, on the enterprise side, uh, you know, there's Millsoft, Nutanix, um, you know, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of light speed. And, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I, I mainly focus on uh, our enterprise software efforts in addition to, um, in addition to gaming. And then the stage. So at this point, uh, Lightspeed is agnostic um, mm-hmm. uh, across stages. So historically, uh, a, a firm with a ton of early stage DNA, um, but in the past few years, uh, we've spun up a lot of efforts around uh, uh, growth and, and later stage investing as well. But at this point, we can do sort of um, cradle to IPO. I won't say cradle yeah. to grave, cradle to IPO. Uh, <laughs> hopefully in, in not game. Uh, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> and um, really partner with companies at every journey in their, their life cycle, basically up until um, going public, um, which is pretty powerful. And yeah. you know, a lot of firms have begun to shift in this direction, the bigger sort of platform uh, VC firms, um, um, because there's just such an information advantage if you're already in a company and to double down on those investment opportunities. And so um, it's, 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 a pretty, uh, it's a pretty big platform at this point. And then do you also personally cover companies across stages as well, or are you more uh, focused? Yeah, so at this point, I am mostly focused on early stage, but mm-hmm. also spend some time in growth uh, investing as well, given you know, when I was at Iconic, I was more of a growth stage investor. And so I, I do have that background. Um, and so you know, at this point, I can kind of look at a company across, across all of it, um, but spend most of my time in early stage. Do you have a preference between the two? Uh, I think they both have their pros and cons. Yeah. I mean, right now, my preference is to spend time on early stage because mm-hmm. that's newer to me and that's where I can maximize my learning, which is the thing that I optimize for at the end of the day is just like my learning trajectory as a human, as a professional, as yeah. an investor. And so um, early stage is provided a ton of learnings, even in just the time that I've been doing it so far. Um, so that's, that's, that's that. But, you know, growth has its, has its good parts too. And how much portfolio work do you do, or work with the portfolio companies rather? Uh, you know, decent amount. I mean, it's 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 somewhat up to it's somewhat varies on a case by case basis. You know, certain teams want or need more help um, than others, and certain VCs uh, are willing or are able <laughs> to provide more or less help than others. I'm trying to be the most able VC, the most able to actually provide yeah. help to my companies, but at the same time, like respect their boundaries and mm-hmm. not, you know, kind of overstep. Um, and so I'm still like filling out what exactly that, that balance will be. But that was also one of the reasons why I, I moved uh, earlier stage as an investor is because I wanted to be more involved with the companies, um, mm-hmm. you know, earlier in, tra- in their trajectory where you could have more of an impact as an investor. Um, and so that's kind of my uh, disposition. But. And what are some of the ways that you actually are able to effectively help out your portfolio companies? There's a bunch of different things. Um, you know, there's like hiring that you can help with. There's serving as a sounding board for mm-hmm. all of their, you know, harebrained ideas. <laughs> um, um, you know, there's sort of market intelligence that you can be helpful in providing them, you know, 
it sounds obvious, but like the capital is important at the end of the day. Having, like, for example, an inside investor who you know you could raise another round from if needed is a pretty great backstop as a company. Um, and just knowing that you have folks who have your back is is pretty is pretty important. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of different. Um, bunch of different ways you know just helping them sort of see around corners helping founders see around corners um is super valuable i think yeah i, I can think of it as just like you're kind of like that advisor or like coach yeah to the founder um so to the extent you can build that kind of relationship i think that's i think that's very valuable so outside of work you know one of your your many uh interests or hobbies rather is is your your blog and yeah. you know i've, I've read a number of your your blog posts so do you want to just talk you know sort of what your your blog's about yeah it's it's always hard because like i get this question and i almost i almost <laughs> have a hard time putting in words what exactly it is which i think is a good thing if it's too easy to put in words right. it's probably not interesting <laughs> I, or, or you're just you're just not good at english but <laughs> um I, you know it's, it's basically sort of my attempt at providing a more sort of rigorous lens at um around the, the sort of technology ecosystem, the uh, startup ecosystem, the venture capital ecosystem. And so I've, I've kind of developed this uh, style almost where they're almost like academic papers written in a much more easy to understand and colloquial language. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's kind of a problem that I have with something, <laughs> there's some <laughs> idea that I think is wrong, or there's some kind of thing that I have a contrarian view upon. I have a bunch, you know, I sort of lay out the theory of why I think this is wrong or why I think this is the right way to look at it. And then I kind of back it up with some data or some kind of analysis that I've typically done in like Python or, mm-hmm. or Excel or something um, to back that up. And like that combo. It seems to really work. People yeah. love all my pieces that follow that sort of basic outline do really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and I, I read a lot of research papers. <laughs> the influence kind of makes sense. I read yeah. a lot of like economics research, a lot of um, machine learning, data science research, um, and that ends up being kind of reflected in the pieces. So that's kind of what it's about. Um, the topics are always just whatever interests me most at a given po- point. Yeah. So you're. You know, I, I definitely agree. Your blog is definitely contrarian, um, huh. which I think makes it interesting. Do you ever get pushback though on your blog posts? Um, I get a little bit, not not much. Um, I think that's what people always worry about when they write something is that people are gonna like come after them and say, "Oh, mm-hmm. how dare you say this?" <laughs> most of, for the most part, like people just <laughs> keep it to themselves, right? Which I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but they keep it to themselves. <laughs> so, for all I know, everybody thinks I'm a crazy person, but you know, so far it's been mostly very positive feedback. Yeah. Um, which has been, um, which has been great. Um. So, but if you are out there and you, you hate me, I'd love to know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I also, you know, to your point, I think it's very, uh, very digestible as well for actually learning, um, which is not always the case. Um, oh, yeah, what's the name of your blog? Uh, it's just who is Namdi, uh, who is Namdi.com, um, which, you know, to some extent is a little tongue in cheek, but it is kind of the, the reason for reading my stuff is to kind of learn how I think about things yeah. and the way I, I view the world. So maybe it's app. So one blog post in particular, actually, that I thought was really interesting, just the idea is on this whole like index investing concept. And yeah. so, you know, real quick <laughs> finance nerdiness, right. In, 
other asset classes, there's like a lot of theory that suggests like you should probably, you know, diversify. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of benefits to it that we don't need to talk about here. But in venture, you know, that's like index investing is something that's like almost never talked about. Uh, so do you want to just like talk sort of like quickly high, higher level about that concept and whether you think it's something that could actually happen in venture? Yeah. Um, so, um, so there's the, the, the sort of the generic reasons why, in general, uh, diversification is a good idea. Um, but the interesting thing about um, the venture ecosystem is that it actually is a even better idea to diversify mm-hmm. in the venture world. Um, and the, the, the reason being that the return distribution is so... As everybody knows, there's sort of a set of companies that delivers a thousand X return, hundred X, 10 X, whatever. And um, those companies are relatively rare, you know, less than 1% of all the companies that get funded. And what that means is, and you can kind of just prove this mathematically, but what that means is that the, the, the penalty, or you could think about it, the, the regrets that you would feel if you miss one of those companies is extremely high. Yeah. Um, and it's almost certainly, no matter how you kind of parameterize this, would mean that you should invest in all companies mm-hmm. so as to avoid missing one of those um, those uh, you know unicorns, etc. Um, and so you would think that that would mean that people would sort of just invest in every company they could get their hands on, um, you know, assuming it meets some very basic sort of quality bar of, mm-hmm. of some sort. And, and, it, and it's a little bit hard to know exactly what that bar should be. But assuming you could set some bar, you should invest in any company that that beats that. Um, but what you find is that investors like are very picky um, and they do kind of the opposite of what the yeah. theory would say that they should they should do. And so this piece kind of walked through first, you know, why why they should be indexing, um, index investing effectively, and then suggest some reasons why perhaps it might make sense that they aren't doing that. Um, what are some like frictions in the market effectively that make that hard to do? Do you think there's any world where investors actually start doing this? I think, um, you know, I think there are, I won't say it, I don't know if it's a world, but there might be sort of, you know, islands where people <laughs> do this. Um, yeah. So like, I mean, I, after I published that piece, I got a ton of inbound from mm-hmm. people in the venture broader tech ecosystem who are like, oh, I've been thinking about this. I actually think this is totally on the mark. We're trying to start a fund that's doing this. Yeah. Or, and, 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 you know, so there's actually a bunch of people who I think basically believe this and even separate from the individual points, which I kind of, I'm kind of making in this post, why it makes sense on an individual basis to index invest. There's kind of a broader, almost societal point around like, you know, there's a lot of returns that are happening in this private landscape mm-hmm. and, you know, that people can't get access to. And there's this sort of rationale that, oh, they're not accredited investors or they aren't sophisticated investors and they, it's too risky for them, whatever. Yeah. Well, if you want to differ, you know, get away with that, from that risk, you diversify. Right. And so if you can provide for diversified access to early, to early stage companies, um, then I don't see the problem. And you would uh, enable that those returns to be more broadly distributed within society. And that, that seems like, you know, probably a good thing. And so, um, and so I think, I think there's all sorts of reasons why this should happen, you know, exactly how fast it happens. You know, I don't know, but, um, I think there's a bunch of people who, who agree with me on it. Have you considered the fact that it's a lot less sexy to invest in every company and not just pick a couple winners? 
Yeah, but you know, <laughs> sexy things usually don't aren't good idea. <laughs> it turns out <laughs> most sexy things are a bad idea. It's actually better <laughs> if it's less sexy. <laughs> uh, you know, or you know, if you're trying to like build, you know, generational wealth for society. That should be right. as unsexy as possible. <laughs> Just collect your returns and be done with it. <laughs> That's a good answer. Um, okay, so shifting gears, you know, you had a you know, what some people would consider a pretty important event last year, you know, you were named as one of the 30 under 30 in Inventor. So congratulations. Um, what was that sort of like? And how has this impacted you, you know, if at all, now that you're, you know, you're, yeah. Um, huh. <laughs> well, I, it's fine. So you're, you only become famous within the, the venture world. <laughs> Not always that helpful, but, um, but no, I mean, it was, it was great. And I'm like, super, um just pleased with the whole thing mm-hmm. um you know it's kind of this weird thing where like you know there's you know there's the, there's the broader sort of forbes 30 under 30 which is kind of this myth number because 30 people within each category right. who are under 30 <laughs> so it actually ends up being a, a lot of people <laughs> each year and there's only so many people in the venture world so you pick 30 of them every year like <laughs> you gotta capture a good swath but yeah. um but you know i'd always kind of just like felt that yeah, and this is just maybe to toot my own horn, like that I mm-hmm. had some pretty strong accomplishments um, within the context of venture, and you know, not that that like that meant that I was entitled to be recognized or anything, but just mm-hmm. you know, I, I would see this list come out every year, and I was kind of just like, you know, why am I not on this <laughs> list? This is like a you know, just as like a factual thing, like why is this not the case? <laughs> um, and so it honestly just felt like like you know this like i i want to build the best career that i can and right. if this is enhancing to that then it'd be nice if i was on it and if that was really it at the end of the day and um i guess since you know ending up on it um you know uh, you know i think confirmed like i'm I, i'm more known <laughs> now than i was before uh, which, which is good but it's also just like a sort of you know it's sort of a badge that says like whatever you might otherwise think of this person for whatever other reasons, you know, this person can do venture. <laughs> like, this, you know, this person is, you know, smart, is capable, has accomplished things yeah. and is on, a, is on a trajectory and you should pay attention to them. Yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of it at the end of the day. And it's, it's been great in that regard. Yeah. You're one of the cool kids now. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so, you know, another one of your, um, you know, your interests outside of work is just gaming. So yeah. could you talk sort of about your, your interest in gaming, how you started out as a gamer? Um, and if you're still a gamer today, you know, sort of what, what your gaming looks like these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, similar to my interest in technology and I, they're all, it's sort of very intertwined. Like I've been mm-hmm. a gamer for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, my first system was in 64, um, then a PlayStation, then a PlayStation 2, then an Xbox 360, or a GameCube. Don't forget GameCube. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and then, um, you know, I mentioned I built a computer in high school, and that's that's really when I switched to, to PC gaming as, like, my main sort of, you know, never, never looked back. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I've just always been just super interested in, in, in games. I think they are well to speak of the industry i think it's to this day one of the most underpriced entertainment 
vehicles that there that there is it's like shocking how much value you can get out of a 50 60 dollar game relative to other forms of absolutely entertainment it's shocking how much education you can get out of a game um you know i've, I've there's so much that i know that i know only because i played you know games i, I yeah. make this joke that the only reason i know what like <laughs> A granary is is because in the Age of Empires you built these like granaries, <laughs> or in like in like Civ uh, Civilization you build these like granaries. Like, yeah. The reason I know what a, a, a garrison is or a barracks <laughs> or like as much of just random things I only know because I play games. Um, and so I found it to be very valuable, especially strategy games or things that help you like think. Um, I find it to be, to be an amazing way to stay in touch with distanced friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially during like COVID and whatnot. Um, um, and as I mentioned, I think it's totally underpriced. And I think gaming, the surface area of gaming is only going to grow going forward. And they won't even necessarily be called games, but like forms of interactive entertainment yeah. are going to be um, just taking up a bigger and bigger chunk of the typical person's time. And so I think it's definitely an a, a industry to kind of index oneself to um, if you if you can. And, you know, I mentioned I built my I built computers. Yeah. Um, right now... What am I playing right now? Um, oh, and so Cyberpunk, which was just uh, a, yeah. you know, I'm playing on PC, so my life is okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry if you're playing this on, like, last gen. Like, I, I feel for you, but that, yeah, you should have known that. Same thing happened <laughs> with GTA. Like, last gen, GTA Five. like, um, but but anyways, like, trying to do a big open world game on mm-hmm. old consoles is tough. But, um, so I've been playing that, um, but, um but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of what's on my radar right now. And then you mentioned, you know, earlier that you were involved in the investment in Epic Games. Can you just tell yeah. that story? You know, especially because yeah. now obviously it's like one of the best known companies within gaming, um, or at least yeah. you know their game is. Well, it's it's one of the best well-known companies within gaming. It's it's one of the most well-known companies at this point. At least right. Fortnite, yeah, at least the game is. Um, you know, but it wasn't uh, so broadly known back when I first met the company. Um, um, so, you know, back when I was at my old firm, I, you know, I, I mentioned I was sort of loosely focused on gaming and no one else was, so it was mm-hmm. easy to be the gaming guy. And, you know, gaming's a hard place to make, I, th- I think, investments in general, especially at the growth stage, because typically these things are, they go from zero to a hundred quite quickly if, if they go if they ever leave zero in the first place. Right. And so it's hard to kind of find an entry point as a growth investor. Um, but, you know, I would go to GDC, the Game Developers Conference. I'll go to E3 um, every year. And at uh, and, and GDC was in San Francisco. And so at GDC one year, I just happened to meet the, the CFO of Epic Games mm-hmm. at an event and uh, the old CFO and um, struck up a conversation. Um, you know, and ended up just sort of staying in touch with them after that. And I, I honestly didn't think it would turn into an investment opportunity because to yeah. me, you know, Epic was this like 25 year old, you know, gaming company. I wasn't even sure like <laughs> what they were doing these days at the, you know, initially. Um, yeah. They kind of had a, they kind of had a change in business strategy in the lead mm-hmm. up to, to Fortnite. And so, um, but, you know, fast forward, you know, maybe a year and a half after that initial touch point, um, you know, they were spinning up a lot of new efforts and, you know, Fortnite was one of them right. and um, ended up sort of turning that into a fundraising conversation and one thing led to another. Um, and, you know, Fortnite obviously just took off and became this right. bigger than anyone. Certainly they didn't think it was going to be as good as it ended up being, which is, which is 
how these things end up working. Yeah. Um, but um, but I, as I always remind people, there's still an entirely other business called Unreal Engine, which is also an amazing <laughs> yeah. uh, product and is at this point, you know, effectively the only like available sort of triple, what I would call engine for triple A game development. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and and it's and it's great because they, they actually dog food it at the end of the day. I mean, they built games using their engine, which I think is super important. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of how that 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 happened. Yeah, um, you know, and the point that you mentioned that I think a lot of people don't really understand is that when you were actually meeting with Epic and like pre Fortnite, Epic wasn't like in a in a great position. You know, like they they kind of needed Fortnite uh, to work out, and it worked out. You know, sort of just at the right time. Yeah, I mean, you know. It's gaming is a tough business, especially if you were of the sort of previous model mm-hmm. where you're selling these like packaged games, you know, 60 bucks, whatever. You send a bunch of money up front on like game development and then you kind of like shebang, let it all in one go and yeah. that it works out and doesn't always work out. Um, Epic was hadn't, it, you know, Fortnite, frankly, was part of their transition to this new paradigm of free to play, mm-hmm. you know, in game monetization. Um, you know, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it obviously it, it worked out super well. Um, but, uh, but for a while they didn't, they, they weren't sure where to take things. Right. So, yeah. so what gaming investing are you doing today? And if you're not actually actively investing, um, in gaming, what are some of the trends that you think are just sort of interesting today? Yeah. So, um, haven't made any investment in gaming since joining uh, Lightspeed, but have spent time with a bunch of early stage companies mm-hmm. uh, within the, the, the gaming landscape. And, um, you know, in terms of like themes or like areas that are um, most interesting to me, I'll just make a plug for, for VR. It's sure. not that I think it's, it, now is it's time. I just know eventually it will be a time and so yeah. it's something to track, um, um, you know, it's, it's it's still I think it's I still think it's a tough place to make bets, but um, but it's like one of these it's only it's only an argument that gets better over time. Yeah. You know. Um, so I it's think really fun too. Yeah. No, it is fun. Um, you know, I remember when all that stuff first came out, and you know, half the booths at the game developer conference were VR related. Yeah. One year it was totally insane. <laughs> um, but um, so I think I think that's I think that's one area. Um, you know, I think there is. I think there's some work to be done around um, PC gaming and sort of the distribution models there. Epic is taking a pass at it with the Epic Game Store to kind of yeah. try and dislodge Steam. You know, EA was trying to do that with with Origin. I think they basically gave up. <laughs> I don't think that's worked out that well. Um, yeah. But, it, you know, I don't know if it makes sense for all games to basically go through a single distributor yeah. um with on you know within uh, the pc world and so i think there's probably some innovation to be to be had there mm-hmm. i don't know exactly what it ends up looking like but um and then i think you know i i'd love to think that there could be another world of warcraft like mmo of some yeah. sort again hard place to make bets hard place uh, to know what's coming down the pipe but you know, that was a such a unique, I mean, I, yeah, I don't, people listening, if you've played World of Warcraft, you know this, but like that game is still very special. Yeah. I mean, you can play World of Warcraft Classic now and it's like, 
it's just crazy that no one was able to beat this. Yeah. In so many ways, it's still like the perfect game in like mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And um, one has to think that there's something else out there that could that could improve upon it and yet be, you know, take the good and, and, and make it even better. But um, so and those are some things I think are interesting. But again, as I repeat myself, it's always hard to exactly know which thing is going to pop yeah. in, that, in, that, in that way. But, but yeah. Yeah. You know, and on on that point, right? So I, I think there's also the question of demand, just in that the the segment of people who want to play WoW are probably playing WoW, and if you're still playing WoW, you know, this late after, you know, <laughs> at this late hour, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're probably never leaving WoW. Um, but yeah, I do I do think it's interesting. I think it's definitely possible. Like there could be uh, could be something else to come. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I think that's fair, and and what you just said is what I what I used to say, which is yeah. basically like, you saw a bunch of there were a bunch of gaming companies that saw WoW success, and they're like, oh, we need to make an MMO. Yeah. What they didn't realize it wasn't that people wanted to play MMOs that badly; it's that they want to play WoW right. specifically, right? Um, for all sorts of reasons, and so, um, yeah, it, it's a it's a good point. Mm-hmm. And then I have to give you the obligatory, like, hey, it's COVID. <laughs> so, do you think this yeah. like whole COVID bump in gaming is uh, is here to stay? As far as the increased, um, you know, number of gamers it's brought into the fold. Um, you know, it's a good question. You know, it's 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 hard to say. I mean, I think my general rule about COVID has been, you know, human behavior is human behavior for a reason people have certain sort of core desires and so mm-hmm. a lot of the like proclamations that everything's going to change and everything's <laughs> right. going to be different yeah i'm not i'm just not so sure like, yeah people yeah. are going to revert for the most part back to mm-hmm. what they um their previous ways of life for the most part but there, there there have been certain i think disjoints that have been driven by covid such as like e-commerce for example which i don't think is going to like really go back down like i think right. that's just like a you know, that's just the you know it, you know it doubled the overnight basically and I yeah. think that's it's gonna yeah. keep going like that. Um, gaming is a little tougher because um, you know I think that for example e-commerce is just a better buying experience than not e-commerce. Yeah. Like and so you know if I shifted any any spend I shift to e-commerce is gonna stay that way. Yeah. Because it's better mm-hmm. you know strictly better for the most part. Whereas gaming you know. There's lots of fun things to do in the real world too. <laughs> and you know, I you know, I want to go to concerts. I want to go yeah, like, do yeah. other things. I want to see people in person. And so mm-hmm. there's actually a relatively strong comp there. Um sure. so I, I think it's I think it's hard to say, but um um yeah, I think I think it's hard to say. Got it. So you know, in your in your time in, in the venture world, you've kind of accomplished, you know, quite a few things. So just sort of as a as a closing question you know longer term uh what do you want to accomplish you know when this is all done or how do you see your career sort of progressing uh you know as you enter like sort of i guess early mid uh innings of your career probably still early yeah um so i'll I'll say two things i think one is i'll reiterate that like the thing i optimize for most than any than most other things is um learning trajectory Mm -hmm. and that is and and it's it's learning trajectory not like level of knowledge yeah and so like i always want to be on a relatively steep learning trajectory if i ever feel like i'm plateauing then i start to get worried and i yeah. start to get really really antsy and so um no matter what it is that i'm doing i want that to be the case um and i will uh and i will 
bob and weave as necessary in order to ensure that that, that remains the case um and more practically um you know i think that I have the opportunity to be one of the best investors in the technology ecosystem mm-hmm. you know, if I play my cards right. You know, if I play my cards right, it's doing all the work <laughs> there. But um, I, I don't see any reason why that shouldn't be the case. Again, it's like similar to the 30 and a 30 thing. It's like, if I have done good things, then I should be on this list. It's not a matter yeah. of like ego boost or whatever it's just like a right. thing that should be true if, yeah. if i've you know done the qualifying things and so similarly i think okay i'm a smart person i have a lot of passion for this tech thing mm-hmm. um you know i'm good with i'm good enough at least with people <laughs> um you know i like talking and advising founders um you know i think those are a lot of the qualifications for being a great vc so why should i not be right. um and you know the practical reality always ends up being harder than <laughs> the, the, the 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 napkin model that I just yeah. articulated. But, um, but that's kind of the goal: is just to be the best investor, the best professional, the best you know human that I can yeah. I can be. And so, and just like achieve my potential, which I think is again not to toot my horn, but I think it's high. Like, yeah, I just that's just what I think. No man, that's that's an awesome, honest, uh, just like bold answer, and I and I love it. So I will definitely be rooting for you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Nandi. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Thank you. It was yeah. awesome.